0: Well, let's get started with the sermon today. We're in Ephesians chapter 1. And at the end of the service today, we will give the invitation. And there may be someone here who's ready to give your life to the Lord and follow through in baptism at a later date. Uh, that's your opportunity to come forward. Um, and uh, also, we're going to recognize a couple of students that are going to children's camp this week. That'll be at Campbellsville, and uh, they're going to have a great week as well. A great, a great week as well. We are in Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to begin reading in verse 3. The book of Ephesians is one of Paul's many letters to the churches of Asia Minor, meaning that it wasn't written to just one church, but was written to several churches. And uh, Paul wrote Ephesians, Galatians, Philemon, uh, Philippians, and these are called the prison epistles, or And an epistle is not the wife of an apostle. An epistle is a letter, okay? An epistle is a letter. And um, Paul is sending these out from prison, okay? He is at Rome. He is in prison. He is in his last hours of life. And he is writing profusely. Um, And the book of Ephesians, other than Romans, the book of Ephesians is one of his... um, um, premier letters if you will that pulls together what it means to be a member of the body of christ the church of the lord jesus christ and to live together in community as the people of god and that's his desire for the ephesian church and this letter would not be read by just one church but would float around to the churches of asia minor and so That means it applies not only to the churches of that day, but to us as well. And we need to be ready to hear what thus saith the Lord to us. And of all the things, he starts by talking about being adopted in Christ and what it means to be a child of God, Uh, what it means to receive this special act and lavish grace of God called adoption. And know that God now is our Father. And we call on our God as Abba, Father, which gives us an insight into the special relationship that we have with God that we can call Him Abba, Father. And we can have that intimate relationship. So let's begin in verse 3, where he writes, Blessed be the God, and well, let's go with verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us, has blessed us, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will. To the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the lavish riches of His grace. Now, those of you who've studied Scripture in depth might have come across some of the uh, Greek text here. And you understand that beginning in verse 3, all the way down through about verse 23, is one long sentence. And it's mind-boggling. How many of you in the English class, you had to diagram sentences in high school? I mean, how many of you did that? Yeah. Did you like it? Did you enjoy it? Some no, some yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, if you had to diagram uh, ephesians to pass the final exam i think you'd repeat the grade i really do it's it's tough it's really really tough i'm not sure if i stated that correctly it goes to verse 23 but almost to there at least uh, verse 21 it's just one long sentence and so translators have had to kind of say okay this would be a good place to put a period and this would be a good place to put a comma and this would be good, another good place to put a period to help us move along in understanding what this, this long sentence is about. And in doing that, we can break this passage or this chapter up into three sections. Because Paul is talking about God the Father, and then he's talking about God the Son, and then he's talking about God the Holy Spirit. And so he's speaking now theologically about the triune God. That God has revealed himself to us as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And what it means to belong to the God that has adopted us and has a purpose for our life and a plan for our life. And this involves a fun, fun doctrine that Baptists love to discuss and divide over called election. And we're not going to shy away from it today. We're going to jump right into it. And we're going to enjoy this idea of predestination because it is a cool concept. It's a cool concept to know that we are predestined to go to heaven. That's a cool concept. And nothing, absolutely nothing, can stop what God wants to do. And God has made a decision before the foundation of the world, that you and I will live with Him eternally in His holy heaven, and there's nothing in this world that can stop what God wants to do. Nothing. Is that cool or what? That's worth getting excited about. That's worth celebrating. And that's what worship really is all about. To the praise of His glory, He said. Those are the words that Paul uses in this passage of Scripture. To the praise of His glory. And that's kind of how you know how to divide chapter 1 into the three sections. Because when he talks about God the Father, he says, to the praise of his glory. When he talks about Jesus, he ends that little section by saying, to the praise of his glory. And when he talks of the Holy Spirit that has sealed us for redemption and for eternity, he ends that little section by using the phrase, to the praise of his glory. So that's how we kind of figure out that there are three parts like any good Baptist preacher we're looking for three points in a and a a poem you know and there's three parts here that we can deal with so this Sunday we're dealing with God our Father next Sunday God the Son and next Sunday the God the Ho- Holy Spirit three in one so as we deal with God the Father today the cool thing we're going to deal with today is this idea of adoption what does it mean that we have been adopted as children of god in the book of galatians chapter 4 paul writes these words hear this carefully because this passage in galatians that paul writes kind of helps us explain and understand the concept of adoption that's in ephesians chapter 1 he says in galatians 4 but when the fullness of time had come god sent forth his son born of woman born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now that means sons and daughters, children of God. Um, so receive that in, in that sense. So adoption, what, what does it mean that we are adopted as children of God? Well, one, we were not born the children of God. You, you are not born born again. You are not born uh, a, a child of God, you have to be born again in order to be a child of God. Your first birth is your physical birth. Your second birth, or to be born again, is your spiritual birth. And your spiritual birth happens when you, number one, admit that you're a sinner. Number two, believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and was buried and was raised from the dead by the power of God and that he is truly the Son of God. Who ascended into heaven and is coming back again. Folks, that's the gospel. And when you believe the gospel and trust the gospel to save you from your sin, that's when you are born again. But you must put your faith in Jesus and trust what Jesus accomplished for you and me when he died on that cross and redeemed us, purchased us, bought us back. Bought us back from the consequence of sin, which is death. He paid that price for us. And that's called redemption. And that's how we become a child of God. And so, the second birth, the spiritual birth, is our adopted birth. We are adopted, we are received in. In fact, Paul uses another term. Some of you might have used uh, when you're growing crops or trees, you want to plant in a fruit tree or something and you, and you graft it in. Some of you have used the grafting method. He uses that illustration to talk about what it means to be a child of God. We have been grafted in. Grafted into what? Grafted into the vine. Who's the vine? Israel. Israel is the vine. And we are the people of God that has been adopted or grafted into the vine of Israel that belongs to the Lord our God. And so we have been brought in by the grace of God into this relationship to our father in heaven and we call that being adopted now adopted in the bible is a little different from adopted in modern times in modern times when we adopt someone we bring them into our family and we receive them into our family and we have rescued that person from perhaps an orphanage perhaps from a life of abuse uh, from a life of neglect. Someone has neglected this person. And so we have rescued them and brought them into our family and we receive them with full benefits and privileges into our family. In the Bible days, adoption, in fact, in the Old Testament, adoption is never, never really mentioned or talked about because the Jewish people didn't adopt anybody. But in the Greco-Roman world, that is the Greek-Roman world of New Testament times, the, uh, the powers that be practiced adoption because many of those, perhaps even a Caesar, even a Caesar did not have children. And who's going to receive the inheritance of the Caesar? Who's going to receive the, the power that is transferred from the Caesar to his son? And so every Caesar that had, did not have children would adopt a child, a boy. It had to be a boy. Sorry, girls. But it had to be a boy. And that Caesar would adopt that boy, and he would receive the power that would be passed on to him from the Caesar that was his father. That's really the picture, and hang in with me here, that's really the picture of adoption as Paul is relating it to us in the New Testament. Now think about that. God has adopted you and me through what Jesus did when He died and rose again from from the grave. Through the cross experience of Jesus Christ, God adopts all who will trust and believe in His Son, Jesus Christ. We now receive all of the inheritance. Hang on to this. We now receive all of the inheritance. All of the lavish blessings of the grace of Almighty God that He promised to Abraham, that He promised to Moses, that He promised to David, that He promised to the prophets, that He promised to His people. We miss out on nothing, and we get it all. Kind of like coming to the Morgan Family Reunion. You get it all. You get it all. And uh, we receive all that God intends for us because we have been adopted. That word adoption should bring to your mind something of the lavish grace of Almighty God who loves you so much that He doesn't want you to miss out on what He has in store for you. In the book of Ephesians, you hear these words again and again. He talks about the riches of God. See, Paul's been in prison he wanted to get out, he wanted to go evangelize, and God said, no, I, I want you to stay here in prison. See, there's another occasion where God said no to somebody. God said no to the Apostle Paul. Paul wanted to be free and go out to the churches and plant new churches and baptize, all those things, and God said, no, I want you to stay here in prison. So while Paul is in prison, uh, this new guard would come in to, to guard him. I remember one of the preachers talking about that this week. And he'd say, man, look at here, got a new guard coming in. He's going to babysit me all this time. I can't wait to tell him about Jesus. I can't wait to tell him about the cross. can't wait to tell him about the gospel. And he would share the good news with this, this guard, and the guard would get saved. And then the guard would get off duty, and he'd go about and tell everybody else about Jesus Christ and the gospel and how he got saved. So he's sending missionaries out from prison. God says, I don't want you to leave prison, Paul. I've got something else for you to do. And he said, Paul, I want you to write these letters. Since you can't go to these churches, I want you to write these letters. So he writes Ephesians, he writes Galatians, he writes Philippians, he writes Philemon. uh, All to the churches, and all these churches are blessed. And now we have a Bible. Because God said no to, to Paul and had a job for him to do. Now I'm sure there are times that Paul didn't feel like he was adopted. I'm sure there are times he felt like he'd been left out of the inheritance because he's rotting there in the prison with the mice and the, and the stench and the stink and the, and the rotting flesh down the hall because people are dying every day in their prison cells. I'm sure there are times that Paul didn't feel like he was privileged to be adopted. And I felt like that too sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes life just stinks. Sometimes life just doesn't go the way I want it to go. Sometimes God says no to me. But I am reminded of the riches of God that are mine. And when I claim those, I live on a new level. I have a new insight into the story of God's salvation. So in Ephesians, Paul uses the word the riches of God. He talks about the riches of grace the riches of the mercy of God and the riches of the glory of God. And all these riches he's talking about from a stinking prison cell. Why is that? Because he has understood the mercy and the grace of God for him that was not deserved. He has also come to understand that before the foundation of the world, he was adopted. Think about that. Before the world was ever laid down. When Paul writes about before the foundation of the world, that phrase means laid down. Uh, You know, um, well, okay, we got a two-story building here. David, how many square feet in that building? 7,000 in that one building? Okay. Before we ever built that building, somebody laid down an architectural plan. And and those architectural plans are still around. You can see them. You can read them if you want to. Somebody laid it down on a piece of paper. That was the plan to build that building. Well, that's the phrase Paul uses to talk about God's plan that he laid down before the world was ever created. And in that plan, God decided that he would have a people. And that's where we get the word election. God chooses. See, when you elect somebody, you make a choice. God made a choice of a people in the Old Testament called Israel. He told the Israelites, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I chose you. Jesus told the disciples, the twelve, He chose those twelve to be His disciples. He said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And that gets us into the insight of before the foundation of the world, God had a plan For a people, that would be His, and through these people He would witness to the rest of the world so that all who believe would know the riches of God, would enjoy the inheritance that God has reserved at the resurrection for you and for me and for all all those others. Folks, that's called lavish grace. God has lavished His grace upon us. And you don't see the word languish in the Bible. You see the word lavish, which He lavished upon us in His Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 5 said, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the ty- kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He bre- freely bestowed upon us in the Beloved. Now, Paul is very careful. Now, stay with me here as we talk a little bit about Election. Paul is very careful to tie in election with belief in Jesus Christ. There is no election without belief in Jesus Christ. This word predestination and election is very confusing now in many people's minds, but to me it's very simple. I like simple. And when I think about God predestined a people that would be with him in his holy heaven that would enjoy his lavish riches for all of eternity i think about taking a trip on an airplane Uh, let's say i go up here to louisville and i want to get on a plane to go to atlanta georgia well i've got to make a choice so i choose delta airlines 50 minutes If all goes well, I'm going to be in Atlanta, Georgia. All right. What was laid down as the plan before I ever showed up at the airport was this predestined plan. There's a pilot somewhere that has made plans with a map to fly that airplane from Louisville, Kentucky to Atlanta, Georgia. That plan has been laid out. In fact, that plan has been called into the airport tower and it has been registered as a flight plan. That plane doesn't take off without that plan being filed with the uh, tower at that airport. That plan also has been translated uh, to other air traffic controllers that are between Louisville and Atlanta. They are all sitting at these. Big circle radar things, and they know on a piece of paper that there's a plan for that airplane to come from Louisville, Kentucky to Atlanta, Georgia. Check. There's another little card about that long and about that tall sitting in a, in, at a desk at an uh, air traffic controller at a tower in Atlanta, Georgia that says, in about 50 minutes, that plane's going to land here at this airport. He knows that plan. That plan for that plane to travel from Louisville, Kentucky to Atlanta, Georgia has been in place long before I chose to get on it. But it's going to Atlanta, Georgia. And if I want to go to Atlanta, Georgia, i got to get on that plane. Right? I've got to have a ticket to get on that plane. The predestined part of my journey to Atlanta, Georgia has already been laid down. The choice to get there is up to me. To believe enough that that plane is going to get there and to believe enough that that pilot knows how to get it there. So is salvation. I believe that according to the gospel, the plan has already been laid out that when I die, I'm not going to be dead. I'm going to rise in God's holy heaven. That's God's plan. I believe that when I die in this life, I'm going to enjoy the eternal life and the eternal blessings that God has for me in His holy heaven. That's God's plan for my life. And so because I believe it, I trust and have faith in the only one who can get me there. Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one come to the Father but by me. I'm the only pilot that can get this plane you want to be on to God's holy heaven. I do remember a time when we got on a flight one time we were going to Atlanta, Georgia and the pilot was sitting in the front seat of the airplane and he had that he had that IFR map all laid out in the front seat of that plane and I thought oh we're in trouble. When you see a pilot looking over the looking over the you know the map like that but he, he really knew where he was going and we got where we wanted to go. Adoption means that we receive what God has planned for us. His inheritance that He wants to lavish upon us through the Beloved, Jesus Christ. And there's no other plan, there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Does that help you a little bit to understand predestination and how it's God's plan that's laid out? and nothing is going to stop God's plan. That's really all predestination is, is about. Others have used other uh, illustrations, uh, one of those, and it really makes sense. You've got, you got a door here, and you got a door here, and one says eternal life in heaven, the other says death, and I choose eternal life, and I step in that door, and when I go through that door, I turn back around, and it says on the, on the side of the door, Welcome, child of God. Welcome, God's elect. The word elect is how the people of Israel understood who they were. They were a community of faith. They were a body of family of believers in God, the one true God who had a plan for them, Israel. And because God chose them, they were considered the elect. I like to look at elect one more way. God made a choice, and Satan made a choice. Satan said no to your going to heaven, and God said yes. You get the deciding vote. That's election. You get the deciding vote. And today I would ask myself, what decision have I made that allowed Christ to take control of my life and my future and to let him be Lord and be in control of my life. You know, when you get on an airplane, you don't run up to the cockpit and tell a pilot how to fly the plane. You just don't do that. In fact, you can't get in the cockpit of that airplane. The door's closed. You've got to trust the mechanic that fixed the airplane. You've got to trust the engineers that built the airplane. You've got to trust the aerodynamic engineers that designed that airplane. You've got to trust that the dynamics of Of of, of draft and and ascending and descending and all the things on that airplane is going to work. You have to do a lot of trusting to get anywhere when you fly in an airplane, and so it is with salvation. You just sit in your seat and enjoy the ride and go where God takes you, and He's going to get you there. He's going to get you there. Why are we adopted? We know that we were adopted before the foundation of the world. The plan was already laid down. We know that adoption is receiving all that God desires for you and me to live in his holy heaven. Why are we adopted? Well, folks, we are adopted for two or three reasons. One is to magnify the greatness of God the Father and to proclaim him to all the world. I was listening to Dr. Ed Stetzer, I don't know if that name rings a bell or not, but some of you who keep up with Lifeway know that Ed Stetzer was one of the um, leaders in, at Lifeway for a long, long time. His specialty is, uh, is starting churches and research, and he's just a walking encyclopedia when it comes to research about church growth and Sunday school and that, those sort of things. Ed has uh, taken a new position at Wheaton College uh, in Chicago. Now, Wheaton College may ring a bell because that's where Billy Graham went to college. And he is the dean of the Billy Graham Museum and the Billy Graham uh, School there. And he was speaking one day about his role uh, as the dean, and one of the things he does is he takes guests through the museum, to see a lot of the artifacts and so forth about Dr. Billy Graham, the great evangelist. And uh, what do you think the one thing is that most people want to see? His pulpit is there. And, And everybody wants to get behind the pulpit and have their picture made standing behind the pulpit. But before you get to the pulpit, there's a display of his Bible. It's not quite this large, but it's a display of his Bible. Now, what you don't see there is Billy Graham's experience with the Word of God. Um, Billy Graham got started in theological education, and he struggled for a long time because when he was in school, uh, there was was a kind of theology called... uh, textual criticism and other things and a lot of liberalism was sneaking in and people began to doubt and wonder the uh, authenticity of a lot of the scriptures in fact there was a club started somewhere and it's still going where the um, professors get together every year and they vote on which scriptures of the Bible are actually authentic and which ones to leave out Bultmann and all those German theologians had had their effect and so Bill Graham went through that training and, and he began to uh, hear his fellow pastors say, well, if it's really not the Word of God, or if there are errors here in the Word of God, then can we really rely on the Bible? One day, Dr. Graham took a trip out in the, in the, in the forest, and he was praying about this. And he came across a stump that had been, uh, that had remained there. You know, in the old days, they used crosscut saws to cut stumps and Stumps were about that high off the ground because they couldn't bend over to get all the way to the ground. And Billy Graham, in his spiritual struggle with the Lord, knelt down beside that stump and put his Bible on top of that stump. And that's where he really gave his calling to the Lord. And he said these words, Dear Lord, I don't know it all, I don't get it all, but I give my all. Lord, I don't know it all. I don't get it all, but I give my all. From that day forward, the crowds began to grow that attended the crusades that Billy Graham led until he was, you know, known worldwide for the millions of people that came to hear the clear gospel of the Word of God. And to this day, you can go back and you can listen to the sermons that Dr. Billy Graham preached. And he never says, I believe this. I think that. This is what it teaches. What does he always say? The Bible says, the Bible says, The Bible says. See, God didn't call us to defend the Bible. He called us to just proclaim the Bible. The Bible says that you're a child of God when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that you are adopted into the family of God. The Bible says that you are to live now to the praise of His glory. And the way to get started with that is not to understand it all, It's not to know it all, but it's to give your all. May we be faithful in giving our all. Let's bow our heads together. Father, we thank you for this word that transforms our life when we simply believe. Because it truly is the word of God. We don't understand all about election and predestination, but we know we're yours because you said so. And we belong to you for eternity because you said so. I pray, Lord, during this invitation time there will be someone, some youth, some adult who will come and say, I give my all to Jesus. I want to go to God's holy heaven. I want to know that I'm saved and a child of God. May they come during this invitation. Lord, you be glorified and honored by the decisions that are made today. Pray it in jesus name amen you've been listening to the sunday morning worship service of the Ekron baptist church you too can accept the eternal life offered by jesus christ first admit that you are a sinner then believe that jesus christ can forgive you of your sins and ask him to come into your heart and change your life then confess your faith in jesus christ as your savior and lord if you've made this decision today write to us at the Ekron baptist church 2775 Hayesville Road Ekron, Kentucky 40117 If you're looking for a church home we invite you to be a part of our growing family with programs and Bible studies for all ages Join us next Sunday at 11am for morning worship from the Ekron Baptist Church Until that time May God bless